0: Hello, church. It is good to be with you once again. Today, we are going to be looking at the letters of John, and we're going to take 1 John in particular, which is a letter that we are not unfamiliar with. If you recall, back in June, we actually read the entire letter one Sunday as we talked about how we approach uh, disagreements and conflicts within a church and how we ought to be loving as we do that and understanding and respectful. Um, And then two weeks ago, we actually took a passage from it and talked about how we ought to be loving Um, How we ought to understand love, how we ought to experience love, um, and talked about how it is ultimately a grounding in God's love that we understand and are able to love ourselves, but then also to love others. Today we're going to be looking at the letter as a whole, and we're going to be looking at what John says is his purpose of the letter, and then we're going to talk through the letter, actually read quite a bit of the scripture itself in order to understand how his argument works. Uh, The purpose of the letter is a little different than the way we have been using it in the past. So, we're coming at it from a different direction today. Much like the Gospel of John, the first letter of John gives us the purpose. He states in verse 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Gospel, as you remember, was written so that those who read it might come to a full belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the King, as our Savior. The letter of 1 John was written so that those who believe, those who have read that letter and accepted that truth, so that those who believe might be assured that they are heirs to the kingdom, that they have inherited eternal life, John tells us. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to spend quite a bit of time reading various portions of the letter, verses here and there that drive towards the point of the letter that John is trying to make. We know, of course, that the theme is that of love. We know, of course, that within this letter that John is encouraging us and instructing us to love one another as an expression of our love for God. Uh, Today, we're gonna talk about why. Now, by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word Truly, in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. And then again, in chapter 3, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. Knowing God, being a child of God, a member of the kingdom, is tied to knowing and acting upon his commandments. Conversely, John makes the point that if we fail to act, if we fail to know those commandments and act accordingly, we show ourselves, we prove ourselves to be not of the kingdom, to in fact, not be heirs of the kingdom, not to have eternal life. And so the question immediately becomes, well, if John is writing this letter in order to assure those of us who believe that we do in fact stand to inherit eternal life, what then are those commandments that we must be acting upon and knowing? And he goes on to tell us exactly these things. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, A little later, he says, this is the commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. And then in chapter four, he says, the commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. So we can see John's point clearly. It's not hard to understand. And we can in fact set up a logical statement that makes sense of this. And that is that the heirs follow the commandments, which we saw in the first set of verses the commandment we read here is that we must love one another. It follows therefore that the heirs of the kingdom, those of us who believe and are to be assured of eternal life are those who love one another. But he goes even further. In chapter four, he says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. From there, he says, those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? In other words, when we look around the world and we see our brothers and sisters in need, when we see fellow humanity struggling, suffering, and we do not offer our resources, our time and our energy, we demonstrate that we in fact are not heirs. We in fact are not believers. We in fact do not stand to inherit eternal life. We are not members of the kingdom. Let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him." John has told us that the purpose of his letter is to reassure us that we have obtained eternal life. He does so in this statement. He says that our assurance is the reality that we love in truth and action. Not just with our words, but with our actions in our everyday lives. We love one another And it is that expression of love that is the mark, the sign that we, in fact, have obtained eternal life. He also, as we have read, makes the clear statement that to the extent that we do not do that, we have no assurance. In fact, if we are not people who love in action, if we are not tangibly, physically, and regularly loving each other, loving our neighbors, we have no basis upon which to claim to be Christians, to be believers or to have obtained eternal life, or to be members of the kingdom of God. But to the extent that we do, we can be assured we are members of the family of God, inheritors of eternal life. Now this very quickly begs the question that runs throughout the New Testament. Are we saved by our faith? Are we saved by our actions? Very clearly John is telling here that our actions matter. But what we need to understand is that in some ways it is a both and, but it is the faith that begins it, as James will tell us, and we'll look at this next week, as we look at the book of James, our faith is made perfect in our action. It is the faith, the belief in Jesus as our savior that saves us, but that faith must and always does propel us to action. If our faith does not compel us to action, if our faith does not connect us to God in a way that makes us feel that love, overflow with that love, and take loving action towards those around us, there's no reason to believe that that is true faith. True faith requires and is made perfect in and through our action. And that brings us back to John's stated purpose, that the purpose of his letter is to assure us of that eternal life. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. This reality that our belief, our faith is tied to action is an inescapable truth in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. James, as I said, talks about it. And as we've seen today, John, John makes it his whole purpose. John says that it is the thing that reassures us of our eternal life. We must come to terms with this. If we are people of faith, if we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our King, we will act this way. We cannot get around that. And immediately some of us now are, thinking about our lives. We're thinking about the things that we do on a daily basis, the way we feel about other people, the actions that we take. And we wonder, are we doing enough? Are we actually loving our neighbors? And I would say to you today, if that's a question you're asking, do more. Look around at the people that you are in contact with that are within your sphere of influence and ask yourself, how can I love them more? What are tangible steps, tangible things that I can do on a daily basis to make them feel my love for them? It's more than just a word, although it can be words. What can you actually do to make them feel your love for them? And by virtue of that, God's love for them. We talked months ago about the difference between the Hebraic understanding of learning and the Greek understanding of learning. We have, in most instances, understood and adopted a Greco-Roman way of learning and teaching, and that is we teach, we talk, we do this sort of thing where I explain to you or someone explains to you the truths, and then we hope that in wrestling with those truths and thinking them through, that compels action. The Hebrews had it the other way around. They understood that it is in taking action that we understand the truth. We learn by doing. And so, as we apply that to this conversation— we might think that we sit around and we talk about scripture as we've done today. We talk about these concepts, the ideas, the ways in which we might love people. And then we hope that in having that conversation, as I do hope today, this conversation compels you to act. That this conversation leads you to be more loving, and express that love for God to other people. What the Hebraic understanding of learning would tell us today is that while we can sit here and have this conversation, you can listen, we can read through John and we can come to a cognitive understanding that it is our loving action that assures us of our place in eternity, of eternal life, our status in the kingdom. That understanding is not enough to compel that action. And in fact, it is going out and actually loving people that allows us to love. It is in getting up out of our seats and going to the people around us and taking the action. Even if we don't feel loving, even if we don't have that emotion motivating us, it is in taking those actions towards our neighbors that we find love for them. It is in being disciplined enough to do the loving thing that we find ourselves loving. I said two weeks ago in our discussion about love that it is in loving others that we express our love for God. It is equally true, given what John says in his letter, that it is in loving others that we experience God's love for us. As a kid, when we would take road trips or go anywhere for that matter, we would sit in the back seat and it was, of course, a time before all of the technological toys that we have today. And so, to entertain yourself, you would either have a conversation or you would peer out the Windows and stare at the scenery as it went by. And I can remember often seeing birds that would sit on the electrical wires that ran from telephone pole to telephone pole. I can remember wondering why it was that the birds would sit on the electrical wires. The, The highest ones, of course, carried the electricity. And I remember being curious as to why it was that they were not being electrocuted. It never made sense to me. As a kid, of course, you're told never to touch anything electrical, that you'll get shocked. But here were these birds sitting on electrical wires, perfectly fine. Fast forward a couple years to a science class in which you learn about electricity and you realize that in order for electricity to run through something, there needs to be a closed circuit. And so, these birds that were sitting on these wires, there was no place for the electricity to go. So, there was no place for it to flow through. There was, in fact, nothing to ground the electricity. And so while they sat on the pole, because they weren't touching anything else, there was no opportunity for electricity to run through their body to reach another point, thereby electrocuting them. In fact, there are places in which those electrical wires are close enough to other wires, and the birds are big enough so that as they take off, as they extend their wings, those wings can at times touch other wires. And the moment they do, The electricity courses through their body to find that new grounded spot. Admittedly, that's not the happiest example, but it does serve to make the point. God's love functions in very much the same way from my experience and the way that I have heard others talk about it as well. It is when you open yourself up to love others that God's love flows through you. You can sit in your house all by yourself. You can read about God's love. You can pray you can meditate, and perhaps you can't even experience a bit of God's love and understand his peace. But it is in going out into the world and finding those to love. It is in giving God's love to them that we allow it to flow through us. And the more that we allow that love to flow through us to other people, the more that we love other people, the more that we extend our love and, and in truth, God's love to other people, the more of that love we experience ourselves. It is in loving other people that we feel God's love for them and for us. We become a conduit for God's love, and it is in becoming that conduit that we have that experience of the overwhelming, powerful truth of God's love. As we reflect on the entirety of John's letter and what he tells us today is his express purpose in writing this letter, that we realize that we take our place as heirs to the kingdom, we take our place as those who have inherited eternal life by loving God and loving other people. It is in becoming the conduit for God's love that can then be expressed to the world when we become the hands and feet that we know God's love for the world, that we know God's love for us, that we feel and have an experience of his overwhelming love for all of his world. So the question then becomes, what do we do with that? And so today I want to challenge you every day this week to find one thing that you can do for someone else beyond just a word or a text or a message. What can you actually do for someone to express your love and God's love for them? How can you make someone's life better? How can you make them feel loved by you and by God? And you might start by just looking around at your family all too often, it is those closest to us whom we take for granted and we fail to do these very things. So start by loving your spouse, loving your kids, your parents, those close to you. And as the week goes on, as you get in a routine of acting out your love for others, begin to look at those beyond your family maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone you come into contact, maybe it's, maybe it's a matter of just going through the drive through and paying for the person's meal behind you. The more you act in love, out of love, the more you will experience God's love for you and for the world. You will begin to see the world differently. The injustices and the things that break God's heart, as we've talked about before, will become apparent to you. You will train yourself to see the ways in which we are called to be hands and feet in the world. And so as that first step, as we come to a close of our time, take a moment and think about what is the thing that you will do today to extend God's love to someone else. And then when you wake tomorrow, what is the thing that you will do tomorrow to extend God's love to someone else? And then again on Tuesday and Wednesday. And as we go through the week, every single day I challenge you to do one thing, to love someone else. And as you do, may you tangibly become the hands and feet of Jesus. May you feel, experience, and extend his love. May you understand his love for you in the act of loving others. May you feel that love course through your veins. And as you do, may you rest in the assurance that you have obtained eternal life, that you are an heir to the kingdom, that you are a son, a daughter, of the most high God, amen.